Well, if you have your Bibles, would you like to uh, please turn uh, in then with me to the book of Exodus? This morning we're going to be re- or going to be dealing with uh, again a fairly large chunk of uh, Exodus, uh, covering chapter three and uh, the remainder of chapter three, and right into about halfway through chapter four. I'm not going to read that all right now. I'm just going to read uh, uh, Exodus three verses ten through to the end of the chapter, verse twenty-two. But we will, in the message, be going on into chapter 4 and are looking at parts of that as well. So we're picking up the story from, uh, from last week. Remember Moses is uh, there before the, burning bu- before the burning bush there at Mount Sinai, or Horeb as it is called here. And uh, God is appearing to him and, uh, and he says to Moses in verse 10, Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, Well, this is God, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbour and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewellery and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of God to us this morning. Let us pray and ask his blessing. Our gracious God, as we come this morning to this particular passage in Scripture, may your Holy Spirit indeed be our teacher today. Lord, may you be lifted up and glorified 
uh, not only in the preaching and proclamation of your word this morning, but in the lives of your people. For we ask it for your glory. Amen. Lord, I don't want to be a pastor. It's too hard, Lord. I'm too weak, Lord. I'm too afraid, Lord. These were my words to God and my heart attitude towards God for several years back in the early 90s. I was incredibly reluctant to trust God and his plans and purposes for my life. Maybe you can relate. Perhaps there have been times in your life where you too have struggled to trust God and his purposes for you in your life. Perhaps that's something that may be even real for you right now at this particular point in time. As we come together this morning around this passage in Exodus, this is where we indeed find Moses struggling to come to grips with the purposes and plans of God and his life and reluctant to, to, to obey and act in faith. At verse, in verse 10, God says to Moses, Moses, come, I am sending you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Moses, this is my plan and purpose for you at this particular point in your life. I want you to be the one through whom I work to bring my people out of slavery, out from under Pharaoh's oppression. Now, at this particular point in time in, Pharaoh, in, in, in Moses' life, things are pretty comfortable for him. In fact, things are pretty safe for him there in the wilderness. He feels safe and content. But God is about to shake up his life like he wouldn't believe. Have you ever had one of those phone calls on your mobile phone and you look at the, you look at the, the number that's being called or the person's name that's being called and thinking, oh, I really don't want to answer this right now. And so you let it go to voicemail? You ever done that before? Yes, I'm thinking, yeah, you have. Well, if Moses' mobile phone is going off right at this particular point in time and he looks at it and he sees God's name on that, he's thinking, I'm letting this go to voicemail. I don't want to answer this, Lord. I don't want to answer this. God wants to send Moses back to the place of his greatest failure and of his greatest fear. That's where Moses, God wants to take Moses. And it's no wonder then that in the passage that's before us this morning, Moses tries to come up with all kinds of excuses and objections as to why he shouldn't go, as to why he does not want to listen to God and obey him. But before we start getting critical of Moses this morning, 
which can be easy for us to do. We need to keep in mind that the reasons that Moses comes up with here in this passage are very much often the same excuses that we ourselves use when we do not want to do the things that God calls us to do. Moses begins by saying in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I, Lord? Moses, at this particular point in his life, is an 80-year-old man. An 80-year-old man. Moses is past his prime. Sorry to the older folks in our congregation this morning. (laughs) Moses is past his prime. The only thing he's been in charge of for the past few decades is a flock of sheep. It's been a long time since Moses was a member of the Egyptian royal family and things would no doubt have changed quite dramatically in that land. Moses knows that he's out of touch. He knows also that the last time he attempted to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, they rejected him. You've only got to go back a very short way in this passage to see that when Moses, back when he was 40, tried to take matters into his own hands, things went incredibly pear-shaped. And when he tried to, you know, to, to lead the Israelites, they said, who are you that you should be a prince and a judge and a ruler over us? Moses was well aware of his own inadequacies and probably felt as though at that, this particular point in time, he just no longer had what it takes to do what God wanted him to do. And God's response is interesting. And can I say that as we read through this passage, there's going to be a lot of focus on Moses. But I want us to understand as we go through that the hero of this passage is God. That we need to to recognize that although there's a lot of focusing on Moses here in this passage, we need to lift our eyes above that to see the God whom is calling Moses here in this position. God begins, God's response is twofold to Moses' question, who am I? He begins first by telling Moses that he will be with him. In verse 12, he said, God said, but Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. Moses is assured of God's presence with him as he carries out God's calling in his life. Now let's pause and think about that for a moment. God promises Moses his very self, his very abiding presence with him. God, the one who created 
all things, the one who created the universe. As we stand at night and we gaze up into, the, into that night sky and we see the extensiveness and the expanse of the universe in all its majesty and glory, like the psalm says, the heavens declare the glory of God. This same God who created all these things, who created all the beauty and wonder and amazing things we see around us. This God says to Moses, I will be with you in this mission. The one who creates all things, the one who sustains all things by his powerful hand says to Moses, I will be with you. It's interesting, throughout Scripture we see numerous examples of God calling people to do incredibly daunting things. And yet time and time again, God promises that they can do it because He will be with them. Abraham, in Genesis 26, 24, God says, I will be with you. Joshua, in Joshua 1, 5, where God says to, to Joshua, who's taking up now the mantle of leadership of the people of God from Moses, God says, do not be afraid for I am with you. To the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41 and verse 10, God says, I will be with you. To the prophet Jeremiah, whom God called to be a prophet to his people, knowing that the people would not listen to him and that this particular calling was going to be an incredibly hard and difficult and challenging calling, God says, I will be with you. Jesus, to his disciples before he ascends back into heaven, after he gives them the commission to go and make disciples of all nations, says, I will be with you. And God says to us today, as his people, I will be with you. I remember going one time. I uh, the details a little bit a little bit foggy, probably because I was so fearful at the time. But I remember actually when I was a kid breaking uh, a neighbour's window. I think it was we were playing cricket, and I had to go and own up to that person, uh, go and own up to the neighbour about breaking their window, and I was petrified. And I can't remember if it was mum or dad, but but one of my parents said, "We will come with you." And the, the relief that, that, that was there because I knew that I was not going on my own, that I had mum or dad there with me, just gave me an incredible peace. Well, that's nothing like the peace that can come to us when we realise as God's people that God promises in every aspect of our lives, I will be with you. I God says. Isn't that amazing? Think about it at the moment. Think about all of the, the challenges and the, the trials, the difficulties, all of the things that are going on in your life at the moment. All of the things that perhaps bring doubt and fear and anxiety. God wants to say to you this morning, I am with you. 
I am with you. Because God will be with Moses, it means that God's purposes will be assured. And it's the same for us as his people today. Look at verse the, the, the second half of verse 12. God says, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God tells Moses that his mission will indeed be successful. He says, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when, not if, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God here in this place. God says, I am with you, Moses, but I also want you to respond in light of that in faith. I want you to trust me. God calls Moses to act in faith, trusting in his word and in his promises. And folks, if you don't already know this right now, this is the way God operates. When he called Abraham, he said to Abraham, leave your country and your people and your home and go to a land that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. In reflecting back on that particular call to Abraham, the writer of Hebrews states, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Why did he do that? Because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In other words, Abraham had absolute confidence that God was going to accomplish what he was saying to Abraham there at that point. And not only is Abraham looking at the land, but he was looking to the, to the, to the fulfillment of that promise of God way, way, way in the future. Like Moses and Abraham, we too are called to walk by faith. We are called to be people of faith. As 2 Corinthians 5, 7 reminds us, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. But our faith is not based on just wishful thinking, is it? Our faith is based on who God is on his nature and his character. And this comes out in Moses' second question to God when he says in verse 13, effectively, God, who are you? So Moses says, who am I? Now he, he flicks that around and says, God, who are you? Look at verses 13 to 15. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, "This say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
And God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And Moses says to God, Who are you? God says those famous words, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Many scholars and commentators have, have sought to define exactly what God means by what, he's, what he says and refers to himself as I am. We can see that it is indeed God's personal name because God goes on to say that this is the name by which I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You'll notice that that word Lord there in there is, is in capitals, L-O-R-D. It is a, a translation of the Hebrew word Y-H-W-H. We pronounce it Yahweh, but that we're a little bit unsure that that might even be the case. But it is the Hebrew word meaning I will be or to be. John Piper states, we should probably understand that in God's self-revelation to Moses as I am, he is first and foremost referring to himself as the one who is the self-existent one. That is, his personality and power derive solely from himself and no other. It also reflects the fact that he is the unchanging one. That God is also the inexhaustible source of energy. That the Lord is the everlasting one. That he is the one from whom everything derives its being. That he is the one with ultimate authority. They are the sorts of things we should understand by God's name, I am. But back in that culture, someone's name conveyed more than an identity. It conveyed their character. And in saying that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God is reminding his people to look back and see how God acted towards them. In other words, to see his faithfulness towards Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to see God's power at work in their lives, to see God's provision at work in their lives and therefore to see God's faithfulness and trustworthiness in how he has already acted. When God pronounces his name, we are to, to immediately associate with his name his character and to see the kind of God he is. And we see that in how he has acted in the past. That's why God consistently says, calls himself here the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But also in that, the people were to see that, 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 uh, that God had made promises to these people as well and that God is the God who keeps his covenant promises with his people. 
And in fact, we're going to see in this passage a number of promises that God will go on to make to these people. God promises, in fact, God's promises are seen all through this passage. The promise to personally be with Moses, as we've already looked at. The promise to Moses that he and the Hebrew people would come out of Egypt and worship God at Mount Sinai. He promises here in this passage that, uh, that, that, um, that he would bring the Israelites to the promised land. We see that in verse 17. We see that God promises to Moses that the Israelite elders will indeed listen to him. We see that in verse 18. We see that God promises that Pharaoh, although admittedly initially would not let the people go, that ultimately he would after God does these incredibly, incredible mighty works. And he promises that when the people come out of slavery, they will come out not empty-handed, but with all of the plunder of the Egyptian people. We see that in verse 22. Folks, we can have confidence in God and his promises because God must act according to his very nature and character. The Bible tells us that God is faithful, 2 Corinthians 1.18. The Bible tells us that God is true, John 3, verse 33. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34 and verse 8 that God is good. In Titus 3, 4 and 5, God is kind. In Romans 3.25, God is righteous. As we go through scripture, we see that God reveals himself through it in lots of different ways, reminding us who he is and what he is like and how he will act. And we can have confidence in God because of how he has acted in the past, that he keeps his promises because Jesus, in sending his son Jesus, Jesus is the very fulfillment of all of the promises of God. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, For all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus. So whatever we're faced with as God's redeemed children, we can be assured, first and foremost, that God is with us and that we today, having standing this side of the cross, have his indwelling spirit within us, who is both our comforter and our helper. We have God's spirit who gives us the power to be able to know and carry out the will and purposes of God in our lives. But we can know when faced with our own inadequacies that we are meant to remember the God who has called us, the God who has saved us, and the God who lives within us. We've already sung this morning, if God is for us, who can be against us? But listen to the rest of that passage. Romans 8, 31 and 32 Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
What God is saying here is, I have given you the most precious thing that I ever could in the person of Jesus Christ. So if I've given you what is the most precious, then surely would I not give you everything else as well? As one commentator says, the cross screams to God's people the words of God, I am for you. Not only am I with you, but I am also for you. And so when times get tough and challenging, we need to look back as the people of God and be reminded of how God has proved faithful in the past and look forward expectantly to how he will act in the future according to his promises for us in Jesus Christ. Moses, though, he's still not convinced. He's still not convinced because he now doubts the people's response. Even though God has said to him, the people will listen to you, Moses. Moses says, God, what if they don't listen to me? And God gives him three signs, all pointing to how God is sovereign over Pharaoh's power and over Egypt's power. We haven't got time to go into those signs this morning. Maybe that might be a sermon for some time later down the track. But it's amazing the specific signs that God gives Moses, how they speak specifically to the power of Egypt and particularly to Pharaoh in this kind of situation. These signs are given so the people, first and foremost, will believe that Moses is sent from God and so that they will listen to him and know that God can be trusted. We see that in chapter 4 and verse 5. He says that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to you, Moses. See, as the people see God working through Moses because of his faith and obedience, through these particular signs, as God, you know, as God, um, you know, uses Moses, Moses, God says to Moses, Moses, you've got a staff in your hand, throw it on the ground, it becomes a snake. God says, Moses runs away. All right, there's a really good, uh, there's a really in- interesting um, a side uh, point to that in that the snake was very much a symbol of, of Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a headdress with a snake on the top, yeah. All right, very much symbolic of, 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 of um, Pharaoh's power and authority. The snake on the ground, and God says to Moses, pick it up, grab it by the tail. The hand that goes in in the cloak comes out leprous goes back in again comes out clean the water of the nile that that, got, that moses will uh, will pour out at some particular point at another point in time not here that turns from water into blood god's as the people see moses acting in obedience and faith to, to god in doing those signs The people are to see Moses' faith and obedience and they too will be encouraged to trust in God's plan and purposes themselves. That just should remind us that God reveals his power often through the acts and obedience and faith of his people. 
We only need look to the lives of fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord to see how God has proved his faithfulness and goodness in their lives as they've acted in faith and trusted him in their circumstances, sometimes incredibly difficult and challenging ones. There's the power of testimony, folks. As we ourselves act in faith and obedience to God, as God works in that situation because of our faith and obedience, he demonstrates his power. It is a wonderful witness and testimony to those around about us and encourages those people, others, our brothers and sisters, to ourselves then to act in faith and trust and obedience to God. If we look around the people in our congregation and we, we hear some of the stories and we, we hear some of the, 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 the deep waters, the deep journeys that God has taken those people through in their lives. And as they've looked to God in faith and trust and obedience and God has proved himself faithful to them and God has proved his power and his majesty and his glory and his grace and his goodness and his kindness. It then causes us to say, God, I've seen you work in that person's life. I know you can do the same in my life. You wonder sometimes perhaps why we encourage you to be sharing what God is doing in our lives with one another. This is exactly the reason why. Because it helps to build one another up in our faith in God. As I said, as we act in this way, in faith, God can show his power through us and we can be a demonstration of his power. As one commentator states, obedience, trust and perseverance can be the greatest signs a church can perform. So if you're struggling to trust God in your present circumstances, remember that this may indeed be an opportunity to experience perhaps some of the sweetest and most blessed times with the Lord and where God can demonstrate his amazing power in you and through you. But of course, not only will God work through Moses' hands, he will also work through Moses' mouth. We see that in verse 10 to 13. Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God wants Moses to speak to Pharaoh, And it is now that Moses brings up his own weaknesses and inadequacies. Ultimately, Moses says to God, God, I don't want to go, send someone else. I'm sure that we're all very much aware of our own weaknesses and inadequacies when it comes to serving God and obeying him in our lives, aren't we? Lord, I'm not a good speaker. Lord, I don't have enough knowledge. Lord, I'm too young. 
Lord, I'm too old. Lord, I'm too busy. Lord, I'm too shy and too timid. Lord, I'm too afraid. Lord, I'm... Insert your own one there. We all come up with them, don't we? We know them only too well. Lord, I'm too sinful. I've got such a terrible past. How on earth could you ever use me? But isn't it interesting that Scripture tells us that God chooses to use us because we are weak. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human, might be, no human being might boast in the presence of God. Folks, it is in our weaknesses that God displays his power. And again, as one commentator writes, weakness is not a reason for reluctance. Instead, it is a reason for reliance. Reliance on the power of God to even work through us. That same commentator takes us back to the, the boy and the loaves and fishes. Remember Jesus says to the, his disciples when they've got, he's got all this big crowd gathered around him there in, in Matthew's, in the Sermon on the Mount, at Matthew's Gospel, he said, sorry, just after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to the disciples, I want you to feed all these people. God, how on earth are we going to feed all these people? We've not, you know, not a, a year's wages couldn't feed all these people. And then Philip brings to Jesus a boy with five loaves and two fish. Completely and utterly inadequate for the task, wasn't it? Five, how is five loaves and two fish going to feed 5,000 people? In fact, there was probably more than 5,000. One of the scriptures says it's actually there was 5,000 men who were there. But this boy brings to Jesus all that he has. As small and as insufficient as it is, he says, Lord, this is yours. Take it and use it as you please. And in the Christian life, it is about bringing to God the breadcrumbs of our faith and watching him then go with that and feed the 5,000 to do miraculous works through us. And in response, worship him, worshiping him and adoring him as his power is displayed through our weakness. So who's feeling weak today? Who's feeling weak today? Who's feeling inadequate today for the task? The task of carrying out God's plans and purposes in our lives and in this world. Me. Every single one of us, shouldn't we be? 
But can I say that that's a good place to be? Because God promises through his word that he gives grace to the humble. God not only uses weak people, but he gives weak people what they need to accomplish his purposes. Now, God is not ordinarily going to give you all the answers and all the solutions up front. He calls us to obey one step at a time. That's been my experience over the years. God works in us and through us as we go and as we obey. And can I say, folks, this morning, God has never failed me yet, even though I have failed him time and time and time again. God has never failed me. And he will never fail you. We can trust him. So the question for us this morning as we finish up is this. Will you trust God? Will you trust the purposes and the plans that God has for you in your life today? God may not be calling you to do some amazing, huge, big thing in this world, but God calls you just in the everyday stuff of life, of being mums and dads to your children, of being witnesses to your neighbours, your workmates, your school friends, of being people who serve God in, in different capacities here in this church or further afield. No matter what it is that God is calling you to, you can know that God promises in the midst of that he will be with you. You can know that in the midst of those things, God will be for you. And you can know in the midst of the, these things, despite our weaknesses and our own inadequacies and failings, God will glorify himself through you. Isn't that something to rejoice in? Yes. Yes. Surely that is. As Phil shared with us this morning, faithful, together, bold. Let's go and live that kind of life this week in the strength of God. Okay? Let's pray. Father, as we close our service this morning, Lord, we want to thank you for this challenging word and a reminder indeed that you are indeed the glorious and amazing and wonderful God. But God, you have promised to always be with us, to never leave us or forsake us as your people, that you have proven yourself in the past, that you have sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of your promises are yes to us in him. But Lord, knowing that we can go in we can walk in confidence, knowing that not only are you with us and for us, but you will indeed accomplish through us your purposes and plans in this world. Lord, may that fill us with hope today and always. Amen.